hands were still on fire and their votes were made of Hello, steel. and welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, John Rosenberg, and Christopher Munden read through every Pulitzer Prize-winning play written since 1918, so you don't have to, or so that you'll read them along with us. I guess I should say howdy, y'all, after that rip-roaring song. Um, it feels like that's like what Biff is listening to as he rides out in the West. Um, uh, my name is Josh Heron. Like I said, I am a third grade teacher currently teaching remotely um, and uh, a theater critic. And I am joined by uh, experts <laughs> on the state of Arizona. Hello, Josh. Hello, Josh. Uh, and number one Lakers fan, decked out in the special 99 Kobe jersey, uh, John Rosenberg. Hello, Josh. And this week we are talking about 1949 Pulitzer Prize winning play, The Death of, Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. Um, another really like giant one, I would say, you know. Uh, not last week, but two weeks ago, we did Death, uh, Streetcar Named Desire, sort of a giant. Um, I feel like the only other like play that sort of like matches that in stature is Our Town, and now we get, bam, uh, Death of a Salesman. Um, so we're sort of getting in the era of like some some real heavyweights. Great American plays. I'll take the summary because I spoiler alert. I love this play so much. Uh, so the ta- play is about the family of the titular uh, salesman Willie Loman his wife, Linda Loman, and their kids, Biff and Happy. Um, And it takes place, the kids are grown, they're in their 30s, Willie is sort of at the end of his rope. Um, He's sort of near the end of his career. And uh, I I guess the action really takes place over the course of like two days. Uh, But then there's so much that happens in flashback. involving sort of another specific like maybe it was like a month like a really important month and then some other times interspersed um but willie is sort of past his prime in terms of sales and and is sort of a guy that has he's a bit of like a uh middle american don quixote he just has sort of like delusions of his own grandeur um and his own sort of it's like sort of the well i don't want to get into thematics of it because we can talk about that um but his kids, um, Biff is his oldest son who's back in town um, and they have a sort of a contentious relationship now, it seems. Um, and um, Biff with the sort of the goading of his brother are gonna try to like get into business together. And it seems like that sort of the family's last sort of hope as things are getting sort of, I don't know, not desperate, but, uh, He's running out of options to save face. Um, And along, we sort of learn about his involvement with Willie's um, deceased brother, Ben. And we'll hear from um, Linda's brother, Charlie, who's their like neighbor and Charlie's son, Bernard, um, some other minor characters. But it sort of takes place over these two days as Willie sort of has to reconcile with the fact that the life he sort of imagined himself to create sort of crumbles around him um, and is either like sort of propped up by uh, 
you know, sort of a house of cards or just doesn't exist at all. Um, and how that affects the family around him. It's sort of a loose summary, but I think we'll be able to fill in as we go. Um, he dies. He, he dies, yes. And he dies. Um, I, I could talk for a long time about why I love it, but I, and I will, but uh, what did you guys think about it? I enjoyed reading it. Um, I probably read it as a teenager, and I've seen multiple productions of it. And, um, and seeing a production, you get, uh, you know, a lot of it takes place in flashbacks, but a lot of it is, yeah, condensed um, reality. And even the flashbacks are often played, um, uh, you know, pretty realistically. And the interesting thing I, I liked about reading this was, um, like, you're not sure, you're not sure kind of how much Willie Loman is inventing of the flashbacks, which is something that I maybe didn't pick up on seeing it in the theater, that, that a lot of this is him being a salesman and him creating his history and we're not sure like what potential there ever was to be lost yeah i found it a really interesting experience as a read what do you think john um i mean yeah i i read, I read this play like in my 20s i think like when i was trying to learn how to write plays and yeah it's revisiting it you know it's 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 better you know it's more impactful and more it's yeah it's it's a simply a stunning play you know it's like him and august wilson are the two like tent poles in my life for mm. for just grand masters and yeah this play this play is just yeah it's beyond it's 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 in another fucking galaxy you know and i mean i think i, I was thinking about this like you know some people always say that there's only so many stories that you can tell or every story has always has already been told you know there's what eight or nine stories people say but i think the the stunning thing is is how he tells a story that everyone can relate to or finds you know themselves in each character and i think that's just the the testament to his talent it was just like how he told the story was just second to none um i was surprised so I think I read this play um, in the theme of like me reading plays in eighth grade. Um, uh, it'll come up again when we read Long Day's Journey into Night. Um, I remember reading this play in eighth grade. I, I can't imagine, like I don't remember anything about flashbacks. And so I don't even think I like understood. Like I think I thought it was like a straight narrative, <laughs> um, which is like probably why I didn't like this play very much. Um, and I've never seen it um, until, um, I saw the stream of the Goodman production um, with Brian Donahue, um, which I also really enjoyed. Uh, well, you know, I, th I think it's interesting not to quibble, but I actually, I disagree, Christopher, with the idea that his memory is, is you know, might be self-serving or... Uh, or flawed? I don't think it's flawed. I think that's the terror. Is you that, think like, it, it's accurate? I think it's very accurate because there's no, 
there's I mean, to that's me, certainly in, how it's usually played. In the flashbacks, there's nothing there's nothing flawed where like he sells a million widgets to you know the president you're like uh spacely enterprises or something like that i I feel like yeah i think the terror about this play is just how everyone just like right beneath the surface everyone knows how fucking full of shit everyone else is and themselves and i think i think uh yeah, his his flashbacks, I I feel like are very true, and not self-serving. That's certainly possible. Um, it almost had never occurred to me seeing the play that they might not be, and reading it, it occurred to me that they might yeah. not. Be. It's funny because I because oh, it'll be interesting. You mentioned Ordis Wilson. It will be interesting. We're going to read Fences comparing this play with that i don't know um yeah i mean i i feel what you're saying there is a link i think between between the father in fences and this one and they're just very different delusional animals you know i mean i think i think more so i, I maybe preferred um a streetcar i'm not sure but this is capitalized letters a great american play in the same way like fences is and then um, the same way like uh great gatsby and i don't know appointment in samara like showing the the american dream and and it falling short so i, I sorry i want to just a couple thoughts um so apparently i um like an earlier draft of this play it was called something like in his mind or out of my mind or something. And the original conception Arthur Miller had was that the set would be a giant outline of a man's head. Huh. And like all of this was going to be happening in Willie Loman's head. Um, and Elia Kazan was like, no. That's interesting because that's kind of like that Tom Stoppard play. The one, one that takes place, the one that takes place in the mind of the diplomat. The one that has like Lenin in it. I'll think of the name or someone could look it up. But that one all takes place in his mind. That's fascinating that um, uh, he I was going to do that. I keep coming back though to this comparison of Will, of um, Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller um, for a couple reasons. We talked about um, Glass Menagerie, which didn't win a Pulitzer, but I really think should have. Um, oh, Harvey. Um, but... <laughs> There's all this stuff in the stage directions and in, I think even in the opening monologue of Glass Menagerie where it's like, this is a memory play. Like things will come and go and, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's not like it sort of is, but like, I like never understood what that meant. And then I read this play just now and I was like, this is a memory play. Like, and he makes it so much more ambiguous. And so, like with Williams, even thinking about Supreme Desire, which I like, I, I definitely prefer Death of the Salesman. I think Death of the Salesman for me is easily my favorite play I've read um, in this project. Um, but I think of like how much more, how is it overwritten, but like written the stage directions in Tennessee Williams are, right? Um, like I think of like these things that like sort of are like happening on the stage and in a Williams play it would be like, and Arthur and uh, Willie like cocks his head 
a melody of the past whistles on stage as a woman, a figment of his imagination, or is it a figment of her pantyhose appears? And like, he's so like, Tennessee Williams is so much more interested in sort of like creating this like experience of writing this play and like having exactly what's in his head be translated on the play. And I think Arthur Miller, at least in this, leaves it much more to like, uh, reader's interpretation to a directorial approach. Like I, I could see, um, in terms of like what's happening, how it's happening, how the past and present intersect, um, at least in terms but of, I, yeah. I, I feel what you're saying, but what he's not uh, ambiguous about is the emotional direction in the play. And he's very, yeah. very specific about how things are to be delivered mm. and that he does not leave up. And he doesn't, I feel like Arthur Miller doesn't, he does that in most of his scripts that you read is he's very precise on the action of the actor and the, the emotion, you know, the emotion behind it. And it's always so on point and so fucking right. And, you know, like, it's funny because to me, a play like this, there's just no room for interpretation for me. And like, mm-hmm. there's only one way and he leads you down this road that is just fucking brutal. And I guess you could play it different ways, but there's only one fucking way to me. Yeah, I disagree. I think that there's, I think that there's, I mean, it's a great, I, I don't think a great play could be one way. So I don't know. Like, I, I think that like, and, and I've only seen one production. I've only read it once. Like I haven't like lived with it. So maybe I'm, but I, I just don't, I think it like, it's too like, like these characters are too much a part of us. Like, like I read it and I like can see these characters. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. And, and my guess is that like, I'm sure not everyone can see themselves in Willie Loman. Like Willie Loman, I think, and I know that in the UK recently there was like a, um, like an African-American led production of it. One of the last productions I saw of it was uh, all African-American cast, except for um, Howard. Mm. Howard was white, yeah. Um, and that was a really good production. I, I think, that, so the last two, or at least two of the last three stage productions I saw of it, one was an all-American, all African-American cast, and the other was, if not an all Jewish cast, then all of the characters were supposed to be yeah, Jewish. I, was gonna say, I, I think that, like, sorry, what I was going to go say is, I think it's specifically like middle class American, like it speaks to that. But I think in terms of like the variations in what you can see and what you can bring from it, I think that there's a lot. I think that like- Oh yeah, yeah. I, I agree, but to me, what cuts across whoever plays it, it's the same emotional, it's the same emotional force or like the same emotions and where they might, where those emotions might come from might be different, Mm -hmm. but he's so very specific about how lines are delivered. Mm -hmm. I I think that's what I meant. It's not like, it's not like there's only one way it could be staged and who could play it. To me, there's only one way in a way that emotionally it can go. That's, I, I think that's what I'm trying to say, but... Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I wonder if it's, like, I guess the, the thing I... Maybe this is what we're sort of speaking at. 
is it reminded me, and then I also read, and I know Chris did too, I read All My Sons, which is the play yeah. before this, um, which is also like- Which I preferred in some ways, but which has a lot of parallels to this, doesn't it? Very, but I thought both of them, what they both remind me of is Ibsen's A Doll's House, right? In which I think mm-hmm. of Doll's House is I think of like a play that's constructed where like the playwright has like, created a world where there is like a perfect sort of like domino effect that leads to like climax, catharsis, like ruin. And like he, and they like perfectly sort of like flick it in the first moment. And it's just like, and I find that- beautifully plotted. Yeah, and I find that so satisfying to sort of watch this, watch that sort of go down. And this is also pretty beautifully plotted, isn't it? Um, There's a, I don't know if you've read it, but Arthur Miller has a book of essays. And one of the essays he talks about is his tragedy. Mm. And just like the the building of it, just the the tenets of it. And um, I, I don't need to talk about it, but if, you know, if anyone's ever interested in reading it, I think it applies a lot to Death of a Salesman and his construction and what he was going for. The thing that surprised me in this reading and that I'm really uncomfortable with is the character of the mom. Oh, interesting. The mom. Well, so I think, you know, in the same way that in She Carn and Desire, when we first meet Blanche, we see her like drinking in the closet, hide it, and be like, oh, you know, like saying, you know, where she basically lies about it. The brutality of this play is that Linda knows that her husband, that everything's falling apart. Shirley knows that. She knows that he's suicidal. And the fact that she places it on the kids to deal with is so fucking brutal. And I think what is so subtle about the play is she almost comes across as like this passive character, but she drives so much of what happens in this play. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I hadn't noticed it before, just that idea of like, that's fucked up to put that on your kids. That like, you know, your dad's suicidal. <laughs> like, but you know, but put it back. You know, I don't want him to notice that it's gone. And like, she knows that all this is falling apart. And you might say that it's because she, whatever, I don't know. But that character is so fucking fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I do you think about her ending lines? The, um, we're free, free, free. Says she can't cry and all that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, man. I don't know. I don't know. Right, and I guess all of, in a way you could say that this play is just about that final mortgage payment. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that was before, a, that was interesting so, seeing an all black production and, and those lines were. He um he had a poignancy. So as he dies, he dies right before they're able to. He's fired he kills himself because of sort of being faced with thinking the they'll get the insurance. I remember we'll get the insurance and knowing that he didn't, but this is ambiguous. It doesn't seem like they're going to get it, but it's not it seem like stated they that they don't, they know it. Like, I think she's like, I think if they got it, like the wife would have a clue as to why, um, or unless, I mean, again, different ways you can play it. Like you could play it. The wife knows that 
it was for the insurance and she's just not able to like bring herself to like reckon with that you know um i will say in the production so there was a streaming production last week on playbill.com of a 2000 broadway production that originated in chicago um and i thought the portrayal of the mom was like stunning it like it broke me um, so I, I didn't get a chance to watch it because I didn't want to fuck with it, but can you tell me about her, uh, her yeah, performance? So she had this, like, thing she did, which, like, even early on, like, from the entire play, definitely as she's an older woman, but not in flashbacks as much, as she sort of, like, has this, like, this, like, happy face, this, like, She's smiling and she's sort of always blinking and like she's like <laughs> and it, it sounds unsubtle and I think it probably was a little bit unsubtle because of like the close up that you wouldn't get in the theater mm-hmm. but it portrayed this like this woman is constantly working to like <laughs> hold this shit up <laughs> um, and so it, it didn't necessarily feel like to me like she was putting it on her kids but that they come in and she's like I'm fucking trying to like keep your dad alive. Like, can you not fuck this up for me right now? Like, I'm, I'm really, like, I'm trying to, like, do the best I can. Um, the the most heartbreaking, the, the, the most heartbreaking moment in the entire play for me was early in the second act. So Willie Loman, we discover at the end of the first act, is, like, suicidal, and he has, like, a tube on a gas pipe in the basement, and the, the mom knows about it, but doesn't, like, know what to do with it or like removes it but brings it back because she doesn't and at the very last moment the sun goes down and like takes it um in the second act the mom has a phone call with and she's like excited to tell him the news that that willie has taken away this pipe not knowing that it was biff who took it away so she's like biff i'm so excited to tell you like he took it away he's not going to kill himself and then Biff is like, yeah, mom, I know. I, I'm the one that took it away. And like, you see in her face this like, like, it, it's like she's devastated, but she like, doesn't, like her face doesn't change. And she's like, oh, it'll be okay. It's fine. Like he was so, such good spirits when he left. doesn't matter. But you like see a person's heartbreak um, in this way that I think women are expected to like sort of have this like toxic positivity this like um this positive spin on things that like totally gutted me and i guess my reaction to her like i was i think that like miller in this like rich women <laughs> so much more empathetically than um well really than O'Ne- like we're thinking about like the big like o'neill and than Williams. Like, I, I think that, like, his female characters have, have a lot more depth and are a lot more sympathetic. Well, yeah. I think the and part of that sympathy is I find Linda and also, you know, you're talking about all my sons, The I, I don't remember the name of the wife, but they're both culpable. They're both culpable in this. And I think yeah, that... The wife and all the sons knows, doesn't she? Yeah. That's the brutality, I feel like, of Miller's portrayal of Linda is that it's not that, you know, I, I think something we could talk about is like what, you know, one thing I talked with this actor I'm working on this thing about is like, what are, what is, why do humans have this weird capacity to dream, to, to dream of what something should be? 
And then what happens in reality never matches it. And then always the collision between the two. And so there, she, I think what's beautiful to me about Linda is like, right, she humors or whatever you want to call it, uh, her husband. But as soon as like the kids show up, she's telling them what's really happening. And like, it, you can't say it's like a toxic positivity, but it's also, to me, there's something else going on where like she is just as delusional as to like the, the idea of a dream as Willie is, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, she, she is going along with Willie's dream and maybe always has done then. How much does she believe in that dream? It's not clear. It's not clear. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you didn't like about this play? It's maybe a little heavy handed. Say more. Uh, how, uh, how is it heavy handed for you? You know, it's uh, it's very much like uh, um, American Dream tragedy. Mm. It does like um, kind of in your face emotion. Um, I think it's, you know, I can, I mean, I've seen it a bunch and even reading it now, just like hit by, um, hit by the emotion. It like, but sometimes when that happens, I'm like, oh, that's, it's almost trickery to use um, the way he makes you feel. Um, well, it's funny because I I feel the characters more than Miller are manipulative because what you know certainly one of the things that I learned from Miller is just the inconstancy of relationships with people, and I love that like you know he is able to be the victim of his own tragedy with his wife you know talking about ah oh, you know I was driving and all this shit and she's so sympathetic and all this stuff but as soon as the sun shows up he tells her to shut up <laughs> you know and just like continually cuts her off and just like wants her yeah it's just it, it's just so stunning how everyone is lying the whole time to themselves to other people and yeah to me it's like i don't like fucking flashbacks and things i feel like it's a cheat like if you can't play it in reality but this play it's so good it's done it's just it done, done really well i it's mean it's done um, so fucking well it's a really really excellent play and any criticism is should remember that let's say it's a great because, right because because anyone could tell this story and i feel like everyone has told it before and like you know everyone has done it afterwards but no one can execute it like this and it's just yeah. you might say about the characters like i had the feeling i had 
um, with Streetcar of being able to take Blanche and put her in a different play or put her in a different scene and having her be that character. Um, this is so brilliantly self-contained that like every, everything contributes to the plot and to the tragedy. And it's hard to imagine like Willie Loman in a different play or any of the kids or any, any of the characters. So almost the characters as, as opposed to William's humans. It's funny because when, you know, when, when we were talking earlier, Josh, you know, and I, I said the thing about there's only one way to play it emotionally. It's like, well, no, it depends on who plays it. And I agree because when I think of Brian Dennehy playing Willie Loman versus, because I think there was a version with Dustin uh, Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. And that's it, just two very different fucking desperate well, sales. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I haven't seen that. Oh, yeah. Philip <laughs> Seymour Hoffman did it. Philip Seymour Hoffman did it? Yeah. I think that's filmed, isn't it? Uh, I don't think that one is filmed. The Dustin Hoffman is filmed. Um, which yeah. he must have been. That was before Tootsie. Like he was young. Yeah, he must oh, have been he? too young for it. But you often see, you often see it to a, a Willie Loman too young. I don't think I've seen like a six-year-old play Willie Loman. Hey, Brian Dennehy. I like I, that production. Like I don't know. I haven't seen it a lot, but watching that, I was like, that's it. Like that's it. Um, right. That's terrifying because you know rarely do you ever see Brian Dennehy play something that's empty inside and that must be terrifying he to doesn't watch play it that. empty inside i think he, no, he doesn't it. play it like that no 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 we're right, right but i'm just saying like uh like no no, no. like because i you know i have my own thing with that dude like do you ever see oh we don't need to play this game but he's he he uh is a part of like an American, like a version of American male that is very specific for me mm-hmm. and like slightly dumb, but very uh, charismatic and macho, but like, yeah, I don't know. You had mentioned that you saw Annette Benning in um, All My Sons. Yeah. yeah, I saw her in All My Sons. And I was picturing her as the mother in this. I don't know if she's ever played it, but I could see her. I, ooh, doing that. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see her in this one. She's no, she's too, she's too, yeah, no. I was thinking. I think that though. I'm like. I think that the model for. I guess in my mind, the model for a good Willie Loman is like you take, take like any sitcom dad, <laughs> and like, like any of them that have acting chops. Like, I think that's what he is. Like, Willie Loman is, like, a sitcom dad who's, like, it's, like, past when it's With cool. gravitas, yeah. Like, it's, like, John Goodman. It's, like... Um, Homer Simpson. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, actually, like, I would fucking die if the cast of The Simpsons, like, you got, like, Marge to be Linda. It would be, like, gut-wrenching. That's my dream. <laughs> Is the Simpsons production? Um, you know, it, it's such a beautiful thing because you know, when I was reading it, I was just thinking about all the times in my life when I've lied, either about what's happening in my life or what I want to have happen, and it's such a fucking weird, painful thing to examine and to 
to look at yeah. and it's and it's not just an american thing you know i, I oh, think no. like but like the the capacity of humans to dream and to like and to be hypocrites and to lie yeah it's it's just and i feel like of all the plays we've read this is one of the first ones that really examines it up so close and doesn't i don't know it doesn't really like uh it seems like the other characters are at peace or something regarding that fact what do you think of the sons firstly the names and also, like, what do what do they represent? What do they? I mean, I think that they're sort of like the two. Pa- like, it's like this. Like, I mean, it's like sort of the, the two paths, right? Like, after he's dead, like it's like the like the rejection of the American dream, or the like, no, they didn't quite get it yet. We'll keep going for it. Um, like, I think Happy is like this is all a sham, or Biff is like this is all a sham, and Happy is still like isn't ready to give up on it yet. Um. But what, you know what I, what I forgot or was so amazed by was like Happy's ability to talk to women mm-hmm. was, it was so good. And I, I appreciated that like he didn't all of a sudden like become like weird or like unable to like close a deal. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciated just the the empty vapidness of it. And like, he was a good salesman, a good liar. Well, I mean, it's but it's like I don't know. I'm I'm sure both of you know salespeople in your lives, um, but it's just, but it's just the fucking worst. It's sorry, I have chihuahuas in the background. <laughs> I mean, I also thought, I guess part of the, the one thing I thought about this play was that like, oh, two things actually, um, three things. Well, one is how different Willie Loman hits in the age of Trump and how like- Yeah, you, you mentioned that in text. Yeah, and it still like hits with me, just like this like the, like the banal lying, like it, it like, it really well, that's like, what you weren't thinking of the, the kind of working class, the the no, anti education about how it's like interesting about how like it's like Willie Loman like that drive with power but not feeling like you earned it feels like a it's very Trumpy. Like, I was thinking of it his uh you know the, the difference between who's the neighbor. Um, Charlie uh, Charlie and the father yeah Charlie but um, Charlie's the father and uh, Bernard Bernard is the son Um, and Bernard's like uh, pursuit of education and and going he's trying to chase in front of the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. Um, and Biff um, stealing answers from him but not thinking that that's important and what is important is this get up and go. Um, it has to be light uh, just to be well liked. Yeah. Charlie's light. Yeah. That's what struck me that it was, um, like who in this play would, wouldn't vote for Trump, probably Charlie and Bernard, but 
Actually, maybe not even them. Maybe everyone in the play is a Trump voter. I don't think Biff. I don't know. I don't know, man. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the beauty of it is that like liberal salespeople are just as full of shit as these motherfuckers. And like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Sure. That's not to say that, yeah, that's not to say that everyone isn't full of shit. I think what's interesting, what's interesting to me though, is like what the whole play turns on is the sun coming to like see the dad in Boston and it's the lady, you know, his mistress in the bathroom. And I love that he just never stops. He never stops selling it. Just being like, this is, this is, you know, she's just here for this. She's just here for this. And finally, he finally tells the fucking truth. And it's like, I'm dude, I'm so lonely. <laughs> yeah. I, can I can imagine that being played really well. Another yeah. thing I was thinking about is, and this is what I was talking with a friend about Street Cream Desire versus this, thinking about, I remember like us reading, and I was talking about how reading these in context, it's like, you know, Street Cream Desire is good, but then you read it after all these plays that like with Pulitzer's and you're like, wow, this play is really good. And then you read mm-hmm. this play and you're like, wow, this play is really good. Um, but then thinking about how like, there's not a lot of like Blanche Dubois and Stanley uh, Kowalski's in the audience in like New York City in 1948. But there are probably are a lot of like Willie Lomans and Linda Lomans. Um, yeah, maybe so, yeah. yeah. No, I, I I dig what you're saying. Like, there's like, uh, right? There's it's a little bit of like a zoologist thing of like, look at these animals in this cage that isn't. I mean, I don't know about the Blanche. The Blanche, I could see there's probably a lot of Blanches in the audience. Um, but yeah, that is interesting. I mean, it's still maybe not the heart of uh, New York theater going in 1950. Perhaps. Um, I don't know too much about Arthur Miller's biography. I would think uh, Tennessee Williams is drawing on stuff he knew for um, Streetcar. Um, a lot of, so Arthur, I know a little bit about Arthur Miller. Uh, you know, a lot of his plays are based off of apocryphal stories from his real life. Um, because, you know, I know A View from the Bridge was based off of something that happened in his neighborhood. Um, That's not the one with... A View oh. from the Bridge is the one about the Italian immigrant um, who falls in love with the young woman. Um, they, they've done A View from a Bridge a few times in, in the recent past. But a lot of... Arthur- that me and John disagree very strongly about which one is oh it, the the guy that's right oh that's right i saw that that made me want to kill myself um, i saw it, it I, changed my life <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think with i think with miller a lot of it pulls from his stories in his real life um i don't know if that if that helps or is like whatever who cares yeah i mean that was interesting about the productions i saw arthur miller is jewish right and yeah so that um, that wasn't important to him in either All My Sons or 
uh, Death he, of a Salesman. He writes a he writes a play that has to do with Jewish identity that takes he place in World War II. Um, I forget the name of it, but it's about a uh, German. The memory one, right? No, I forget the name of it, but it's about a German who basically sacrifices himself for a Jew to escape a uh, a thing. Um, yeah, I forget the name of it, but it's a good play. It's definitely a good play. Um, I'm thinking of After the Fall, isn't that, doesn't that have stuff in World War II? After the Fall, no, After the Fall is about his marriage to Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, but isn't it three women and what, one of them is in World War Two. I don't remember that. I just remember that play made me really fucking uncomfortable. Because it's like a hate letter to Marilyn. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, There's like one more thing I want to talk about, but I'm probably going to forget it. I'm just trying to like ruminate on it. We mentioned Ibsen, and he, he did adapt an Ibsen play, didn't he? I did do that. I was going to talk about how Bernard being on the Supreme Court or was like a little on the nose. Which I love the mom, the sons, the Holy Ghost. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think this is, I want to play Willie Loman. You would be. You want to be you'd Willie. Be, you'd be really interesting as Willie. I mean, as like a 29-year-old like gay dude, yeah, I think it would be really crazy. <laughs> you maybe have to wait a few years, but yeah. But I mean, I guess the other thing we didn't talk about is what a death of a salesman is, which I forgot. Mm-hmm. You know what, what I mean? Do you mean? It's the dream of every salesman is that after you're gone, everyone shows up to pay their respect. Mm-hmm. Uh. You know, so everyone from Provincetown or from... Boston, whatever, will drop everything they're doing and come to New York to say goodbye. <laughs> and then nobody fucking shows up at his thing. And his um, wife is so sad about it. Yeah. I love the character of Charlie, me. He's so stoic and... Yeah, I was, like, shocked that that was your takeaway from that production. Um Christopher also watched, which to my mind, like Brandon, he like kills it. This woman playing Linda is like earth shattering. And then Chris texts me is like, I like the Charlie a lot. Who, who is Charlie or who played Charlie? Do you, do you know? I, I didn't recognize him. Did you? Charles Schumer. Oh. No. Um, Charles Schumer. Wait, I was about to say. I think the other thing to mention is the number of plays that have been directed and molded by Ilya Kazan. I know. He was like on a fucking roll right now. Uh, But I mean, and the Crucible is certainly inspired by him. (laughs) (laughs) But Ilya Kazan, you know, I feel like we saw his name as the director in the 30s with Street Scene. We can check. I don't know. I know it's Goth Menagerie. And uh, he all my sons. I mean, he's like just like shaping this stuff. Right I think now. he did do all my sons too. And and this play is dedicated to him. Um, yeah, he directed in the silhouette of a head. So thank you, Elia Kazan. Um, he directed the movie version of Streetcar. Not the Dustin Hoffman one. Not no. Um, 
of Streetcar with uh, Marlon Brando oh. and uh, Vivian Lee. But then I guess the other piece is, is like we are seeing coming into focus like the professional American theater or like as a, as like a type or I don't know how to say it right of like, you know, Kazan with, with these people and what they're creating and the type of work I think is very interesting. Right. Like, I wonder if we've like, I feel like these last two plays have been so wonderful. I wonder if we see the pivot. Um, Cause I think of like the three great plays of the 20th century to be. Don't say our time. What? Don't say our time. No, I don't. I think of it. <laughs> I mean, like, I, and I, I, I think this ignores a lot cause it's all three straight white dudes. Well, I guess not Tennessee Lambs, three white dudes, but it's like, um, Streetcar Named Desire, Death of a Salesman, and uh, Long Day's Long Journey. Tonight, which we're about to hit. So, I'd maybe she was afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, how about how about the piano lesson? Um, and fences. I mean, there's a lot of good plays. Um, also, Oklahoma. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then, Perfect George. Um, uh that brings us up to next week we're gonna be when we record it's gonna be some enchanted evening because we'll be talking about valley high south pacific so oh, i thought we were skipping was... the musicals nope and if you're <laughs> but like what about Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams? I'm just going to tell you, you're going to wash that man right out of your hair. You're going to wash that man right out of your hair. And wash that man right out of your hair. Send How could they go from death of a salesman uh, or street car named beside to death of a salesman to South Pacific? Well, you know why? It's because there's nothing like a dame. <laughs> um, and I think we'll also talk a little bit about Oklahoma because um, Christopher promised me that he would watch a production of Yeah, Oklahoma. I'm trying to watch Oklahoma too. I think just for ground rules, we need to read South Pacific and we also need to be listening to it. Yeah, yeah. And I think the same for Oklahoma. Okay. Well, I might just listen to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Well, you should watch it and then you have to listen to the new recording of it. Oh. Those are my rules. As... It's done by it's done by Lynn Miranda Manuel. No, I just saw I saw the look How on does Chris's, a, oh, Chris's face for oh a second. Boy. <laughs> hey, what's up? I'm Curly. I'm a cowboy on the ranch. Um, that's my impression of Lynn Manuel Miranda playing Curly. Um. All right, I'm so excited to put on this song again. I like it so much. Um, any what is it? it? It's, it's I know uh, Willie Nelson covers it. It's Riders in the Sky by Vaughn Monroe. Riders in the Sky, yeah. There's a version by uh, Lawrence Welk that's fantastic. Mm. Mm. I should also say that at the like I think number eight of 1949 top songs in Billboard charts was Some Enchanted Evening, sung by Perry Como. Mm. But, which is from South Pacific, but didn't make it to the top. All right. Uh, say goodnight, folks. See you next week. Good night. Good night. The sea, a 
all of fear went through him as they thundered through the sky. For he saw the riders coming high. And he heard their mournful cry. 